0: Wait, did I just argue for you? I argued. You sure I argued did, Zeno. For
1: <laughs> Don't ever do that again. I didn't like it. It made me feel very uncomfortable. That was like
0: it was like I was John Travolta, but I was really Nicolas Cage in <laughs> that really good movie and, yeah. that we watched. <laughs> Never seen it. I could eat a peach for hours. <laughs>
2: Man, how was your guys' day? How was your fourth? Oh, it was awesome. I did nothing. I don't think I spoke to a human mm-hmm. being. It was amazing. Oh, that sounds amazing.
0: <laughs> so good. How about you, yeah. Brian? Seventy-seven children all blow off their fingers. He didn't speak to all a single
1: 462, one. Four hundred and sixty-two. Yeah. Well, no, I hung out with them, but I, yeah, we did not vocalize like anything. <laughs> like they've learned that they can cry and scream and yell, and Daddy basically assumes they don't exist.
0: Fair enough. Um, so, do we want to talk yeast? Is that we want to do? Sounds sound good. Are we good on that? I'm just kind of just naturally let it <laughs> out of our mouths.
1: Isn't that how That's we do much it every week? Ever so. yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. Pretty much. All right. This is the Still Talking podcast with Colton Zeno and Brian. Today, we're going to talk about yeast. Somebody explain what the hell yeast is and why it's important to distill.
0: Colton, go because I immediately want to make a yeast infection
1: joke. <laughs> I know That's you do. do. So You're going to hold that distilling. back the entire podcast. <laughs> yeah,
0: which it's like one of my favorite things of distilling, but uh, so I'm trying to yeast try. infection jokes. To jokes. No, <laughs> I don't even have any yeast infection jokes. This is a terrible start, by the way.
2: All right, so yeast. yeast. Uh, well, yeast is the wonderful single-celled organism that you know makes alcohol possible, eats the sugars, and. And poops out alcohol and CO two, and then we Magic. take that in the distilling world, throw it in a still, and collect it. Wait, you collect the yeast in the still? No, no,
0: the How alcohol. Would you do that? <laughs> <laughs> we distill the yeast
1: down next to the gluten <laughs> to concentrate the yeast to make it stronger.
2: Yeah. So the way you, you know, the way you, or the factors you got to think about, or your strain of yeast. The temperature of your ferment, how much yeast you pitch, or how little—you know—you can play around with different, different, combining different strains and at different times. And well,
1: I know you guys do a lot of experimentation, obviously. But what about on the east side? Do you guys use? I mean, I know a lot of startup distillers will just use brewers yeast, or sometimes they'll use some of the local yeasts, which can potentially put contamination from bacteria, but also adds interesting terroir flavors. What do you guys do as kind of a base point? And then we can kind of talk about different yeast strains and what they actually do to impact the end product.
2: Yeah, so we actually we actually keep it really simple. With We just generally use, we almost always use a dry yeast. Um, it's easier to work with. It's a lot cheaper. We don't have to buy quite as much. Our equipment um, is easier to handle that way.
1: Pretty much lasts forever in storage,
2: right? <laughs> uh, a couple of years, yeah. Which I mean, if you're not using it within that couple of years, you you need to rethink your business model. So, do
0: you rehydrate it, or do you just pitch it in in a pint glass like some kind of animal? So
2: for for years, <laughs> for years we went the uses his hands, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. handcrafted. Yeah, for years we just used a pint glass, just went and grabbed it from the the bar. We tried to you know use a clean one, but I'm sure some of them weren't, uh, and it always it always worked. <laughs> <laughs> we never really had a huge problem, and in the past year or two, we've really dialed it in a lot more, where we started hydrating, we've started um, using a much cleaner pitching container that I went and bought, and we spray it down with heads before every time we use it. And, um, and
1: essentially, that's so you can avoid potential bacterial infection? Is that
2: that yeah, Like, there, I mean, that? there's going to be bacteria in your wash, because we're not boiling it or anything like that, right. but... Keeping those bacterial loads down and keeping your yeast yeast loads up you're gonna be able to let the yeast survive a lot easier
0: yeah so you do you use something like a Carlsberg flask now you have like I, a, I literally
2: like, I went I on, went on Amazon and, and bought a two gallon just stainless milk jug so what we do is in the morning when we start our when we start the brew we fill that up with 200 degree water to sanitize that and then just let that water. And it's filtered water, so we let that water cool throughout the day. Um, and then when it hits about 104 degrees is where we, we pitch our yeast uh, into that water to rehydrate it for about 15 to 30 minutes. And then once that's hydrated, what we'll do is we'll add a little bit of our wort into there to kind of get the yeast acclimated to our sugar levels. So like a starter. Well, yeah, but a very fast starter. Because we're we're only talking about fast starter. 30 minutes to an hour before we're pitching it into our full volume. So I went to a the yeast course at White Labs in Asheville. And I came back with all these wonderful new techniques and ideas that I was going to use. And I called our yeast supplier, um, who is usually Lollamond. And they were like, well, you don't need to do any of those things because you actually use dry yeast. And the way they build up and propagate dry yeast is completely different. And he was actually telling me that for us, it was best to either pitch directly into our directly into our wort or or hydrate for a day and a half or something to like make a real starter. He said if we just go from from hydrating with just water directly in, versus dry in, we basically the yeast the yeast gets used to the zero percent sugar solution, and then you throw it in a twenty percent sugar solution and just d-
0: destroy it. Man, this conversation is 0% <laughs> interesting.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's true. Uh,
1: no, I am I'm just captivated. Teasing. Fuck you. Yeah.
0: No, it it's good, but I, I think there's like a bunch of key points that you're saying out that are just popping off in my head. They're like you said okay, lululemon's your moon supplier. I think that when it comes down as the producer, there's a cho- there's a few choices of where you can go, right? You have dry yeast, you have a cream yeast. Or you buy vials and prop it up and do a starter, but I mean, or you are like some of the good old boys in the double macro size that kind of have their house yeast that they keep going for all of eternity. Yep. Um, but even those do bubbing, which is bubbing is just like a starter or propagation. You get it in a one a smaller tank, and then you feed that into a bigger tank. And then that's ultimately what feeds your fermenters. So if you ever, that's the the word bubbing. I don't know. It's fun to say, (laughs) but that's, so you, you have options of like what you could do there too. And I know like as a producer, you're like, okay, well, what's the benefit of, you know, when you're like, okay, so I just do a dry yeast and Brian, you said, oh, sometimes people use like a, a beer yeast, right? A brewer's yeast. I think some of the best ones from the way I understand it are a combination of brewer's and distiller's yeast. And whatever yeast you're using, if you use it all the time, all the time and it's the same, I mean, you're not reusing yeast in distillation, so it's not beer, right? You're not drinking, consuming the yeast necessarily. Right. You're more about what the yeast is producing, not what the yeast is in your end product. What's that? Fair
2: enough to say? Well, yeah, but I'm. The, I guess yeah. the reason you don't reuse yeast is because your ferment isn't your ferment isn't sanitary like it is in a beer ferment right so
1: well yeah actually that begs a good question and i think that's kind of obvious for most distillers but people who may not have been in this long there is a huge difference between a brewing facility and a distilling facility when it comes to contamination concerns and just the overall sanitation like some of the things we've said would probably terrify a brewer can you guys explain a little bit why there's that difference and i think you've already kind of just touched on it but give a quick summation of the differences between distilleries and breweries when it comes to contamination centers
0: I th- when it comes to contamination a lot of it colton mentioned it's like there's a lot of that micro load is still in your mash because we don't boil it doesn't really matter how clean your vessel is you're just gonna foul it <laughs> by putting that mash with i mean still still clean your anyways. vessel please <laughs> yes <Yeah>. oh <laughs> yes yeah Don't. i'm not making that. excuses for being lazy <laughs> i'm not saying that it's all about control right and i've said it about a billion times probably on this podcast or at least i thought it (laughs) and it's all about that late that late lacto right like Mm -hmm. you want some lactobacillus lactobacillus. yeah but it's late is the the important word there right you need to control it if your ferments sour out really quickly early in the fermentation then your yeast isn't doing anything your yields bad your flavor's bad it's rubbish so you definitely want to be clean. But in the brewing side, you're consuming your yeast, like your yeast is part of your product. And those guys recapture it and repitch it for several cycles, right? And that's how they get a house yeast. And, you know, yeast tend to genetic drift relatively quickly. So they will change based on your environment. But that's why it's so great to use something like what Colton does is a dry yeast or a cream yeast, where it's, Consistent, you're getting from the same source every time. You're propping it up this. So what's way. the
2: what's a creamy yeast?
0: A creamy system was a lot of the, a lot of places in Scotland use a creamy system. So you mentioned Lalliment. There's like Lalliment and AB Biotech or AB Mari. Like everyone knows mm-hmm. the name Mari. Those are your two main players in big distilling yeast or in yeast period. So what they do is they're a yeast bank. They'll do genetic analysis for you. They will do vitality tests to tell you how quickly or how efficiently your yeast strain will metabolize your substrates or your mash, your sugars. They do all that. And then they set up systems with yeast propagators and they pitch it volumetrically, but they have inline counters that are, are pretty awesome, right? They just, these counters have a cathode and anode and yeast membranes actually work as a capacitor. So that's how they count the yeast that come through there.
1: Could you get off eat, that fucking right? train while you explain <laughs>
0: this to us? I will not get off the train. <laughs> yeah, it, measure, it uses, measures capacitance, right? And that's what it is. It's like it sends a signal. And if these, if it, by how much capacitance it has, is, that's how it measures how many yeast you have. Anyways, they do it all in line. So a creamy system is it's pretty much, it's a really concentrated starter and that's where they do bubbing or they'll get it in a big tank and then you get bulk tankers or whatever it is. And a lot of big boys, like, you know, the Scots were... They didn't want to go over to a cream yeast. They didn't want to go over to distiller's yeast. They were like, oh, yeah, we're going to stick with a brewer's yeast. But whatever they did, you know, you're changing something. Years and years and years of history. They moved to creamy systems because these companies are sophisticated enough now to kind of protect their strain, right? Like, they take it. They do genetic analysis on it. And they're like, okay we can make this within this degree of accuracy all the time where you would never be able to do that. If you just try to prop it up yourself, you know
1: um, when it comes to yeah. the legacy yeast, cause I think that's actually really interesting. Do they have those legacy yeast patented? Is that something they can actually patent the genetic code for that? And do they have like a big freezer, a storage unit of that legacy yeast? That they keep going back to like to refresh, to make sure that that genetic drift doesn't happen and cause changes.
2: Yeah, yeah. Actually, they have. Yeah, in it's, like it's this That's not so a the big whole... jug. You only need one cell, right? Yeah, <laughs> it, it's
1: a milk jug. They got stainless steel. It's nice. It's nice. Don't joke, guys.
0: Don't joke. Um, there's. A, I don't necessarily. It's not like a big freezer. There's not like a bunch of Walt Disney's, right? Like, I don't know. That's what I just imagined. It's That's like, what I
1: was getting to. Do you have Walt Disney's yeah, head yeah, in a freezer yeah. at your facility? <laughs> That's- but
0: no I mean the big thing of lolomond and AB biotech is that they're um is that the yeast banking portion so yes I, I that's how you kind of protect your brand yeast your house yeast when you're a distiller like that and when you're a brewer too there's plenty of brewers that experiment even in white labs right they're smaller but they do a ton of craft brewing work right, right. and they will and brewers will will blend yeast and get yeast they're like, okay, we really like this beer with these blend of yeast, and then eventually that yeast becomes their house yeast, and then they'll they'll plate that and store it in this bank. Um, you had another part of that question that was really interesting, and now
1: I forget uh, about the it. patenting. Do they can they patent that genetic code?
0: I don't know that they can actually patent
1: it. I'm thinking like the Monsanto's. Of the I world. think they. So I like think Monsanto. they do. I think
2: they can. I mean, I think do they. You can't. They probably you can't could. take. Yeah rogues yeast or you know like they sell that to those yeast banks so then sell under different names or whatever right so they, well, there's different
0: or they have the they pay the yeast bank just to hold it yeah like on the craft place. world
2: mm-hmm. we're, when we're buying dry yeast especially it's usually you have a what the strains that they're call they call them just very generic like this is your bourbon strain this is your malt strain turbo yeast and right This is your turbo yeast, which is just like fuel ethanol yeast. It's just there to eat sugar.
0: EC1118, that's my favorite yeast strain. Sexy. (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah. That's the name of the episode. (laughs) So what
1: do you guys know about, especially on the small producer side, obviously the end result of the distillate coming out is going to be really important, but you're also talking about efficiency issues because you have to make sure every unit of bricks comes out of that ferment. Otherwise you're leaving money in that tank. So have you seen, and also just the time, you know, if you're talking about a two day ferment versus a two week ferment on things like, you know, if you're using potatoes, that's a huge difference and it's going to cost you a lot of money. What experimentation have you guys done to see differences between, like you said, the dry yeasts, different variations of yeast. Are there things that increase quality, uh, even aside from just the quality concerns? And we can kind of merge those as we go along. But.
2: So we just, we just got, I know we're at 10-year-old company and we just last month got temperature control and I thought you were going to say a microscope. I, was... <laughs> I thought you were gonna we say just a, still. Got a microscope.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we just got a hydrometer. It's yeah. <laughs> fine. It's fine. Kicking in the still talking podcast door. <laughs> Did you have more to that?
2: Yeah, but so 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 right. we just got temperature control, and Zeno and I were talking where like all of a sudden, I have this option where I can decide what temperature I want to ferment at, which is going to sort of determine what kind of esters my ferments make, and you know how fruity or not fruity or clean or like we talked about, you know, dirty uh, my my resulting spirit. It gives you more yeah. control. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. You definitely have more. I mean, temperature control.
0: It, yeah, I, I'm. Bit, uh, that's like the biggest thing I see a lot of little places if they just don't have temperature control, so you can set it at a certain temperature and then that's that
2: right, like that's one of the major factors, especially on the distilling side, but you know beyond your, so rec- you say beyond temperature- your recipe of you know oh, right. whatever your temperature control is is, is temp- temperature
1: control going to impact fermentation efficiency more so than even the yeast,
0: yes. Especially yeah, in the middle Absolutely of summer if it's super Tennessee. hot, like it doesn't yeah, matter. Your yeast point. are gonna yeah. die really quickly. And then
2: Yeah, like my ferments will put off will you know, gain untemperature controlled, they're gaining between twenty and thirty degrees Fahrenheit. When my is ninety in the middle of in the middle of summer right now, that's a really yeah. big deal. And the and what hap- what, ha- what ends up happening is that my ferments kinda my ferments kind of and just down. die out um, before they're finished. The yeast, it just gets too hot for the yeast to handle, and they just stop.
1: Well, and if you get – and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but if you get your temperature, if it gets too high and you start having yeast die off, won't they start actually metabolizing their own yeast cells? Yeah, and, they, and that impact the yeah overall, it's called autolysis. Uh, it's called autolysis.
0: Yeah, it's yeah. Called yeah. yeah they actually what they do So then they produce glycerol, which is part of the metabolic pathway for lactobacillus. So, and mind you that these other microbiological species, they grow at a rate four times faster than Saccharomyces cerevisiae. So you have everything going against you if your fermenter peaks really quickly and it starts to die off, right? Everything, that's how you get really sour mashes. And... You know, we're talking about distilling, so there's a lot of secondary conversion that happens. And I want to go back to that brewer's yeast, distiller's yeast thing. There's this thing called the brewer's yeast uh, effect, whereas when brewer's yeast auto italicizes or autolysis, I'm not a biochemist, so I don't know how to pronounce it. Even if I was, I feel like I have free range to fuck that up, right? (laughs) Um, But when that, when when the brewer's yeast does that, it releases. It's not glycerol. There's something else that's there's something else in the metabolic pathway, but it raises the pH a little bit. And when that pH stays higher for a little bit longer, you can get some of that secondary conversion from those enzymes, those uh, limit dextrinase enzymes. So you can really get more out of your firms.
2: So that that's. Yeah, that sounds like a benefit then. Really. It is a
0: benefit. Yeah, it's the brewer's yeast effect. So a lot of places will use it's like a blend of distiller's yeast and brewer's yeast, All right? But now, now we're talking about temperature control though. Too, I think that's probably most important. If 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 you can't do it, you're not dead in the water. But it's really tough, especially if you're in a yeah, place I, that's I hot. I mean,
2: we've yeah. we've been operating for you know ten years without it, and it, it sucked. But you know we've managed. And the, have, first, the first few times I saw like we actually had it and I saw it, our yields went up just because the yeast was able to actually yeah. handle the temperatures. Well,
0: let me ask you this, Colton. Do you think whenever they were warmer now compared to what they are, were they definitely more estuary? Could you smell? Oh, yeah, for sure.
2: Middle, like. Right.
0: Yeah, you could just smell it walking oh,
2: yeah. in. <laughs> yeah, walking by a fermenter. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's crazy how you get so used to the smells, even at, like, the place I work where I have a ton of fermenters and they're mm. giant. Like, I could tell when one's a little yeah. off or it's not the same. Like, I get used to the smells all the time. So, if you can't temperature control, so, like, you and I, we had an a, an argument <laughs> <laughs> where we said, you're because you're like, you have this temperature control now. And you're like, oh, you want to fucking ferment it like a brewer douche. And I'm like, no, no, no. Set it to a set it to a temperature. Let it work. Let it do its curve. So let it do its log phase. Build its cell walls, right, or lag phase. Then it go through the log phase, and then it's going to bounce. And it's going to kind of plateau, and just let it, and then let it ride, and then just hold it at that upper limit temperature. Because I mean, I've seen big places do it too, where they let it get up almost to about a hundred, and they're like, we don't care because it's not about the temperature that it gets to. It's about when it gets to that temperature.
2: Sure. But also by letting it ride like that, you're increasing, right? I I laughed at you the other day because you showed me that dumb chart of, you know, yeast, ester, or yeast, heat, esters up, yeast, or... I'm
0: pretty sure that dumb chart came from Paul Hughes. Oh, shit's getting
1: (laughs)
2: real.
0: Well, I'm sorry, (laughs) Paul. (laughs) Uh, Actually, I know Paul it Paul Hughes so. is a
1: magnificent man, yeah, so wow. don't talk about it. Yeah.
0: It isn't a dumb chart. It's a basic <laughs> chart that you should understand. It's just – It's a good so chart. So what yeah. it is, it's just yeast stress. It's like, right, high temperature. I love how stress.
1: condescending you made that. Right. It's not a dumb chart. But it's so, a basic chart that <laughs> you know any basic distiller <laughs> should
2: But so that was my point is like, especially on something, my scale where we're, we're fermenting, we're fermenting a little bit longer, but also we're aging a lot less. Right. So the more stress and, you know, higher ester profile I have, some of those esters take time to develop and turn into something that actually tastes good. So why I was trying to, you know, ferment or am am trying to ferment like a brewer douche is because I want to. I want to lower those esters and basically just focus the spirit on sort of a the malt and the smoke and and whatever else is. But in But the, the fermentation recipe. is such a huge portion of it. I know, but it's still. Why don't I mean, you we're, just you know, experiment? Zeno, Zeno and I are arguing about like six degrees. Yeah. So. Well, no, I'm just saying instead of
0: holding it at its temperature, let a couple rise up and hold it at their upper temperature, and do that for well, yeah, for I your mean we're basically we're just whatever bullshit thing you have.
2: Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's six, <Yeah>. so. <laughs>
1: So, hey, I want to back up a step, Colton. When you're talking about a starter, is that similar to when you're utilizing, say, like a sour mash process or is that completely different? It's
2: completely different.
1: Okay. So, because I bring that up because, rece- I mean, sour mash has been a thing in marketing for certain brands for a long time, but I'm starting to see it a little more here and there for some of the craft sure. guys. So, we'll talk a little bit more about what a sour mash is.
0: Didn't we go over that in the drunken process. bourbon episode? <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> Yeah, did I did we, I mean, yeah. I think we did. It again did. Because yeah. I
0: hope no one ever listens to that episode. <laughs> yeah, that right. was careful to that. Episode. No one just, ever listens yeah. to any episode, so it doesn't <laughs> yeah. matter. Right. Um. Yeah. All right. So I mean, I think yeah. The there's a giant misconception with sour mashing. Really, what it's using is your pot ale, right? It's your if you distilled your beer, it's using that beer, that sour beer. To control the pH of your yeah. next mash,
1: because that's going to bring the pH down, right?
0: Correct. So, to be honest with you, what I really believe it—it it was mainly its main purpose was, was two things, pH con- or three things: pH control, viscosity control, and the biggest one I think is getting rid of some of your waste product in a really creative way. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I, I really think that's what it plays into. Sure, I'm. I'm sure that because that pH is different, and you're putting this, these organic acids in there, the profile is definitely different. But I don't think that was the main driving factor.
2: I mean, who was? Who do you think the first guy, Doctor Crow, take his, take his distillate and throw it back in? Yeah, was it was Doc Crow. I think his
1: was mash. His...
2: I don't know.
0: It's in that Bourbon Empire book, which is a great book, listener. Yeah. You should really
1: that is a good one listen to it so how did it become part of the <laughs> like the marketing campaign for some of these distilleries why is that the thing that stood out as a consumer kind of a consumer focus what
0: i think, think it, it differentiates right it's like it's the same reason like four roses like does their shtick where it's like is it three different yeast strains and like two mash bills and they like mix it them all up and sure there's a difference but
2: Well, I mean, I think more than that, even when it first, you know, way back in the day when sour mash first became a thing, all those things that you just talked about, you know, pH control and viscosity, it made a better spirit. So people started associating sour mash with better spirits with quality, right? And then obviously the marketing team took over. And that's what I'm saying. The marketing, the same thing with yeast, right?
0: (laughs) Do you guys market your yeast, what yeast you use or what you're doing? You just said like seventeen things how you changed it and how sloppy you are with it. So clearly you're not. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. But no, not. But you're using it as like a tool. It's a utility, right? Right. Yeah, it's part of our recipe. Right, I and think. you're trying I mean, to perfect your craft with that tool. But yeah. you're not set on you're like, oh, I use AB Mari, whatever, right? Or Saphir. Severe- no,
2: I would if I found if I found a yeast that I thought a strain that I thought made a better you know, our flagship being triple smoke. If I found a, a yeast that I said, this makes a better triple smoke, I would switch in a second. But that's
0: just not the control points you're focusing on. You're focusing more on the distilling side. and
2: Distilling and recipe side. But, but mostly, it's uh, to me, the yeast plays a much larger role with time, where the, you know, the yeast is there and present you know, in your initial young age spirit, but the, the recipe, the grain that you use, comes over a lot more. So we actually try to downplay our yeast profile, and I'll play that side because we're releasing younger, faster-aged. This is where I'm going to
0: disagree with you again. So like, I think the grain sure plays a role, but that fermentation, how that transpired, the further you go out in that aging process, those organic acids, those long-chain alcohols that you've created by that fermentation, that's what's going to develop in that barrel over time.
2: Over time, exactly, but that's what I'm saying. You don't have the time? time. Okay. That's why. That's why I, I used – Wait, did the I just argue for yeast. you? I argued. You sure I argued did, Zeno <laughs> cool. Yeah.
1: Don't ever do that again. I didn't like it. It made me feel very uncomfortable. That was like.
0: It was like I was John Travolta, but I was really Nicholas Cage
1: in <laughs> that really good movie yeah. that we watched. <laughs> Never
0: seen it. I could eat a peach for hours.
1: <laughs> All right. Um, wait. Can we talk a little bit about environmental yeasts and what some people do? Like they'll have open top fermentation tanks and they'll let kind of the local flora, you know, just permeate their facility. And they'll, like, what does that impact of the flavor? Is that more marketing? What are your thoughts on some of that? I mean, I know some really good distilleries that do some open top fermentation and really swear by it. I think it adds a really interesting component. Is there anything more than just the terroir marketing side or on the actual scientific side, what's it doing?
0: I think there's a lot of places that use, there are a ton of places that use open top fermenters. There's nothing wrong with it. They're still pitching yeast. Yeah. They're not completely open fermenting them. So,
2: I mean, basically, we're about to get into a way deeper discussion of fermentation geometry, but that's, that's right. Like, that's, that's where the open top really comes in. Cause as soon as you pitch your yeast, it's creating this blanket of, of CO2, CO2 over, yeah. over your ferment. So not a lot of shit's actually going in. It's there. not as
0: open as people like it, it is open, but it's not truly open because there's a CO2 cap. Right.
1: That's interesting.
2: Like, like, that's why some of the big places will let you, you know, come and stick your face over their big, open... You can stick your finger ferment. in. I mean, at Four Roses, yeah, you can you stick, can stick ex- your yeah. finger right
0: in. Will, it, will it's the same way, right? Like, yeah. where it doesn't yeah. shine. And, like, they smell great, and they're pretty... Really, I mean, they're pitching yeast. They're not just, like, throwing their passion in there and relying on it. There's, like, you know, there's the douchey brewery places in Portland that are a dime a dozen, and they have, like, the open-top fermenters with the mirror on them, and they're funky or whatever... Sure. But right. that's a totally different thing. That's not really what's happening distilling. And if you did do that in distilling, I think it would make a wretched distillate
2: and you'd have terrible yield. Yeah. Right, so like, cuz a lot of those a lot of those you know, you're talking about secondary conversion, but I I guess we call it secondary ferment, right? A lot of those things are taking the ethanol that you'd want to distill and, and making eating that and turning it into different higher alcohols and stuff that would distill out and is not a benefit concentrated down yeah it, it's yep.
0: so if you hate money and flavor sure <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know it's it, i still think there's like i mean there's a lot of people that use this cypress fermenters right like that's a big shtick too which yeah. please god is that not don't is that do not that just
2: ch- cheap i mean cheaper for them to initially or i don't think it's cheaper but how the hell do you clean that i mean steam i guess but even that right
0: <laughs> you know how they used to clean those open top ones and probably a lot of places still do because they pull like a big tarp
2: mm-hmm. over top
0: of it and just steam the shit out of it yeah which, let me tell you, folks, we can do a whole episode on sanitizing isn't cleaning.
1: Just like yeah. cleaning isn't well, sanitizing. Have you guys ever walked into a facility with one of those fermentation tanks and you immediately just smell the bacterial infection, but you know they can't because they're used to it? Um, I did. Yeah,
0: I have, times, but it was usually yeah. just my festering sores. <laughs> yeah, just
1: his yeast infection. <laughs> you're the one that brought the infection in, and then I showed up. Away- Got it. That makes sense.
0: There was a distillery I went to. And I started talking to the fella. And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm the owner. And I was in town for a conference or something. And he was like, yeah, yeah, come over. He's like, come look at my firms." He's like, I want to want see what you think. And it was pink. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Amazing.
0: And I was like. Um, <laughs> he said, don't you want to stick your finger in it? <laughs> I did. <laughs> I even tasted it. I haven't been sick <laughs> since. Yeah. I, in all seriousness, though, I'm like, yeah, man, you got to. And then I found out how he was he was pitching his yeast at like a super high temperature, like pitching it, not hydrating it, but like pitching it in super. Right. He mash. read
2: the he read the hydrating instructions and, and put it in the mash at that and, temperature. Yeah, yep. Pitched it that. So
0: way. I was like, "Cool, you are just God knows what is fermenting <laughs> your product, and it's fine." So there's a learning curve to it too, but, uh, you know. So that was that was for your example, Brian. That was the time that stood stood out most
2: to me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a ton of especially craft scale that we walk in and it's just butyric everywhere and you're sure they're used to it, but you just kind of want to shake them.
1: Okay. So let's, let's do our PSA. If, if people are, might be worried that they have a butyric (coughs) problem, but they're not used to it. What can they do? Should they bring someone in who, you know, a, a, a clean palate, a clean nose. And then if they have that issue, what should they do?
0: I think you start from scratch, right? Like, so, Clean
2: everything really well. Burn down the distillery. Get the insurance money. Start up. Just just quit
0: distilling.
1: (laughs) Uh,
2: Sage business advice from Colton. Just write a
0: shitty craft spirit magazine and have an unfinished basement. (laughs) Hey, I see what you did there. (laughs) It's a great magazine. I'm just kidding.
1: Aw, thanks.
0: I mean, because of your wife's contribution <laughs> oh jesus christ they don't
1: yeah. let me anywhere near that thing
0: yeah she does a great job like i'm yeah. not even just saying that she really does anyways uh yeah start like clean everything really well and then i would say choose a really basic yeast a dry yeast maybe and don't even you don't even i won't even say yes so i like, have to hydrate it if i had my brothers and you were starting from scratch though i would hydrate it and i would do that then pitch it into a little bit of mat and a little bit of wart and then propagate it up, right? Bub it a little bit. So, you know, you have a really rich culture, right? Because everyone pitches. How do you pitch your yeast, Colton? Do you pitch it by cell count? No. Right. Because nobody does that. They pitch it by volume, that's based off of an assumed cell count,
2: right? Yeah. But right. that's because we're using dry yeast. If I was using if I was repitching or you're using wet yeast, I probably A cream yeast or something like I that. I would probably try to use cell counts, yeah.
0: Yeah, but like if, but you could say it, once you get it down, you already you know that your cell count is within a certain range, then you I mean, you pitch volumetrically. So what you can do if you're starting over, then or if like you had an infection or you just want to clean everything, it's spring cleaning. Get it to a place where you're confident you have a lot of yeast, right? Get yourself yeah. a clicker counter and a hemocytometer slide. Be confident in your yeast count and then pitch it and do your ferment however you want to do your ferment. And if you're still getting butyric, okay, what are you doing wrong in your ferment? Is that is that fair?
2: Yeah. I mean, assuming you were able to totally clean your process, right? Like I think a lot of the contamination comes from, not being clean from poor from <laughs> yeah, poor yeah. process so
0: it's yeah i mean it's a, it's beer stone right like there's a ton of beer stone i see everywhere on every vessel
2: yeah yeah i mean yeah beer stone dirty lines dirty pumps what, what, what
1: is beer stone can you explain that
2: it's the
0: calcium calcium buildup that that's comes from your beer on metal it looks like uh
2: sort of like chalky yeah,
0: like the lime, thing. like chalk, Burnt. But what happens? Burnt what happens? Chalk. What happens if that's it takes like the size of your thumbnail could destroy all of your fermentations forever, <laughs> right? Because what it is, it's a nucleation point. And when you have a nucleation point like that, these these microbiological species are gonna' gonna go there and propagate and then they infect you and it's just you know it's an exponential growth issue that you have.
2: So, like what we were talking about earlier, where yes, you have you know x bacterial or microbial load just because you don't boil, your yeast can handle that in a normal situation. But as soon as you have a bunch of beer stone in there, you've changed the ratio of other microbes to yeast, and give your the, yeast and a, a fighting chance. All of a sudden, you're screwed. Yeah, little bastards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love it.
0: I love everything about it, man. I love the the fermentation process is. I mean, shit. I was uh, you know into wine and beer before I was ever into spirits, so fermentation is sacred. And Colton's the same way.
2: Oh yeah, I love our degree. I always call it beer, wine, whiskey, and pickles. Pickles <laughs> yeah. are big in there, so <laughs> yeah. And bread, come on. There's the bread, whole bread cheese. Out there. Yeah. I mean, there's so many yeah. things. Life.
0: <laughs> yeah, cheese. There's so many people that we went to school with that. Are off into cheese careers. I remember. Like, I'm I'm slightly jealous. I'm not gonna lie. We had because I'm a fat piece of shit and I love cheese. We had this. God, we
2: had good. this awesome uh, like across the street from our from our uh, department was the dairy, and occasionally they'd have like classes or or just like um out of school projects where you could come in and, and make cheese for a day or whatever. And I remember ending up with like 15 pounds of feta one day. I was, I was so grossed out. It's just too much feta. <laughs> yeah. No, no. I, I got to, so like working in the pilot plant there,
0: I'd end up trading beer with like Dr. Ross, who was a cereal scientist professor. Right. I would trade his students for bread and yeah. Elizabeth's <laughs> students for cheese. And then Austin had like dry aged steaks. So like I had this whole bartering system of food. I'm like, I ate, like for being a college yeah,
2: like student, Kings. right? I was like,
0: yeah, I was like, yes. I was like, this brick of cheddar costs like three hundred dollars if they sell it at at what their market of choice, which is like a Whole Foods at that time. It was a, it was a good time, good times, good
1: times.
2: So basically, Great quit time. your life and you know, go to Oregon State fermentation program is what we're saying, and trade for cheese, <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: trade for cheese. Yeah, that's so where the just... real
1: money's at. Quit distilling, make cheese <laughs> or trade for cheese. That's about
0: I yeah, I mean so I think all of this we're circling around is like so what right so the fuck what if you go to with a dry yeast a cream yeast you control your fermentation temperature you hold it at one temperature you let it work up let it work
2: up cuz that's the right thing to do
0: um you whatever it is that you do so what does Well it okay hold on, hold on
2: hold on how how you want it to work up how many temp- temperature <laughs> points let talking? it go colton no <laughs> <laughs> the listener
1: <laughs> don't wants you to rehash know.
2: <laughs> your fight right now listener doesn't care
0: <laughs> i would do so like most basic ale strain saccharomyces cerevisiae, it's like 86 to 91 is when they're in their exponential phase like their log phase that they're doing sure. the most work so to me i would set it somewhere where i can allow them to scavenge all that dissolved oxygen and free amino nitrogen to build strong, healthy cell walls and start multiplying. Right. Like I would, I would, so I would say like somewhere around, I don't know, I, I'd set them pretty warm cause I want them to work too. Is like, I don't know, do like 78, 80, let them work up
2: to like 90. So you're saying pitch at and, 78 and let it work
0: let it work to like 90 12 and then just degrees chill it. that's huge just chill.
2: For so a, what i guess i mean yeah it's good but it's to me that only works if you have time to age out i mean that's going to be a huge increase in your ester profile if you let it work that high and it only works if you have time
0: yeah but you're also you're also say you're talking about a 70 68 hour ferment
2: yeah that's true but i mean i guess yeah, but still on the craft scale, I feel like we do have more time to let our ferments go. You do. Oh, for sure. Right? So like what's what's your ideal, let's say you let's say time wasn't a factor in your fermentation, but is a factor in your aging. Then what then what's your move?
0: Huh. I guess that would kind of depend on the yeast strain, and I would just shift that all kind of down. So I would well, no, I would probably Pitch it a little warmer and have the cooling water come on. Nah, I want to get it hot enough. Like, I don't want to slow it down that much.
2: I mean, I'm still if I'm I, still finishing out at finishing our ferments. When, even when we did 72, we still finished our ferments out. And we have a yeah. very hard what
0: strain, your, but... What's your final
2: temperature? Well, I, it's the final what I'm saying is because is we, we just... What? <laughs> Cuz we just started with our temperature control. It's still we're still experimenting, so I just kept it. I didn't even change the final temperatures. I just let them I start 2 to 4 degrees below whatever I'm setting so it does have a little little room to ride, but then it's just set. So like we did one for a minute at 72, one at 74, one at 76, one at 78, and they all they all finished out with no problems. Now, we do five-day ferments, but but that's what I'm saying. is I was focusing more on grain profile. I was trying to downplay yeast and ester profile because I don't have time to age it out in the barrel and turn those esters into more delicious compounds.
0: I get it, and I... You know what? I don't think that we discussed that. And that's a really good point. Actually, I'm on your side on that one. It's like, you don't, you kind of have to be efficient and clean where the heavy handedness that you can do when you have like, oh, I got at least two years in the barrel. Yeah, right. Maybe right. For like, you could be way more heavy handed and it'll, it'll definitely benefit you in the background. Like, I think when I say clean and dirty spirit, people think that I, when I say dirty, it's a negative thing. It's actually a really good thing. It's not times, it's right? especially yeah.
2: especially like tail, tails are what really thrive with age in the barrel. Right, right. There's a reason. Yeah.
0: There's a reason people put faints back in in their spirit months, yeah. right? Like, yeah. Well, it's called money, but yes. That
1: too.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's also it's flavor town. Yeah,
1: <laughs> Flavor Town.
0: I want to punch Flavortown myself is right coming. in the dick for saying Flavor Town.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh, you, I'm 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 worried now because you know that's that's a new phrase that's gonna. I'm be just gonna
0: I'm you. just gonna dye my beard like Guy Fieri's <laughs>
1: yeah, okay. hair. Oh my god, you're like the blonde, you're stinky. like the reverse of Guy Fieri. Are you gonna have like the little like goatee thing on top, like one little piece? I'm like, like the up? reverse of
0: Guy Fieri in every way. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm like, Except I'm not that you successful. Both <laughs> exist in Flamertown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Zero yeah, he restaurants. Has a, he has a ton
0: of money. People <laughs> like him. Yeah. Do they? Do they? I mean someone's gotta like him. Someone's gotta like him, yeah. yeah. It's the sweet bowling shirts.
1: Honestly, though, he's, yeah. like, so enthusiastic, you kind of have to like him. Like, he's one of those guys I think you, you want to hate. But then if you met him in person, you couldn't really I, hate him. Fantastic. <laughs> no,
0: fuck both of you. And fuck <laughs> you and your stupid Pacific Northwest nice bullshit, Brian.
1: <laughs> We're very close to Canada. It's not my fault. Yeah. And, yeah, I
0: fucking <laughs> hate that guy. All right? And I don't care if he was the coolest dude I've ever met in my life. I'd be like, no, you're the worst.
1: As you're eating a chili cheese dog with.
0: Thanks for this chili cheese, dog.
1: You know, that's that's just the crass, cynical Pittsburgh in you. Me. I mean, that's that's just all there is to it.
0: I don't even know if that has to do with Pittsburgh. I just think I'm like an angry old man that yells at clouds in a angry old man's body.
1: This is us not disagreeing with that. Yeah. yeah. I'll drink to that. Cheers.
0: All right. So let's go into... Marketing. All right. So I was saying, so what? So what? If I use a cream yeast... If I use a dry yeast, if I make a starter, if I ferment it hot, what? I, so what? Does it matter? We've been over it matters with esterification. It matters on how long you have the age. It matters in flavor. But does the fucking consumer care? Brian, I feel like I always go to you on this kind of stuff because you're my consumer market of like, hey, you have a ton of exposure to a ton of different spirits. Does it matter to you? does the yeast matter
1: you have to make them care on the surface peer to peer a to b they don't give a shit it's distilling especially i mean and a little bit on the brewing side it's the production of how things are made is still esoteric and mysterious enough that they don't really the common consumer doesn't know they they know about aging the common thing you're always going to hear bartenders will tell you every time the question that gets asked is how long has this been aged what's the oldest product that's the thing consumers focus on. And then maybe they'll start talking about some of the production stuff, but it's really rare. It's all about the aging right now. They're not going to ask, was this done on a pot still or a column still? Is this a continuous still? What kind of you know uh, copper contacts are they? It's, it's so rare that they're going to ask those kind of questions. And that's even above and before the fermentation side. So when you're actually talking about fermentation, that's so far down the criteria of things that consumers know about or care about that unless you're making it a marketing angle where you're kind of throwing it in front of them, no, they won't care. So if, if you have two distilleries who don't talk about fermentation, they will not come in. 90% of the consumers will not come in and ask about it. Now, if you do something like sour mash, or if you talk about the beer yeast that Rogue does, or if you do something about some 10,000 year old Chinese yeast that they reconstructed from, you know, cell cultures, things like that. You know, those are the things that consumers will be somewhat interested in, mainly because the journalists will write about it because it's an interesting hook for them. So then once the journalists write about it, then some of the bartenders will talk about it. And then you can have kind of a marketing angle that will get people's attention. But you've got to play that game and you've got to get that community together to talk about it. Otherwise, I don't really feel I could be wrong, but I don't feel consumers are tuned in yet to the nuances of fermentation.
0: And so, so like the way, what I'm hearing from you is it doesn't matter unless you're totally, it's part of your selling element and it's more esoteric and the age we all know, age is right. It's easy, right? It's easy. People think that older spirit is synonymous with better spirit. There's just, there's this preconception of age right now that people are fixated yep. on or barrel finishing or like a million other attributes that like yeast strain, unless you really push it like a four roses or, you know, actually a lot of this conversation came up because of a listener comment, right. not a listener, the <laughs> listener. Um, <right. laughs> He's a Jewish Jehovah's Witness in New Zealand.
1: In New Zealand. Yeah.
0: Um, he only has eight <laughs> thumbs. uh So, but, 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 like, no, what they said is like, oh, you know, Jim Beam talks about, like, oh, it's our same, like, as much as Jim Beam says about it, is like, we use our same family yeast, but they don't push it too far. Do people really think Jim Beam, Jim Beam house yeast?
2: Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, what, what did we talk right. about last episode was how much flavor is coming from the barrel side, right? Like, we, dabbled between 50 and 99 percent believe 104 <laughs> yeah. percent so i mean you can you just need you know, to buy it's, barrels quick distilling it's easier to see buy a barrel the, on and the wait. brewing side where you have things like saisons and, and sour beers and stuff where the yeast plays a very prominent role in the, in the flavor which it's part it's it, it's a raw
1: material that you're consuming
2: Yeah. Yeah. So but promoting that in your marketing side just seems, you know, it's that much harder.
1: Well, and then you've got to remember, too, that we're not just talking about pure age products. When you're talking about, say, something that's not age, say vodka, gin, things like that, you have other things that take the marketing angle first. If you're talking about a gin, it's all about the botanicals. You know, rarely are they going to actually talk about what's going you know what's going on with the fermentation it's about botanicals partially because i, don't, I
2: literally don't think what's I've ever on? i've ever heard what's, of a gin that promotes its yeast exactly it's Dude, it well, i definitely, well, definitely do because, because most
0: like it's my yeast that ultra pure uses
2: <laughs> yeah yeah
1: so 90 yeah i mean I, I can't actually give a stat on this but the vast majority of people doing gin are getting ngs for very legitimate business reasons they, it, it's simply what they need to do not to say there aren't small producers making their own base it's definitely happening it's just on the rare side but they're focused on the botanicals because that's what the consumers are interested in because that that's an obvious correlation from something they're doing on the production side to the actual flavor profile it's I wanna, so much I more inter, yeah go ahead
0: i want to interject on a gin statement on this though a bad base spirit can totally fuck up a gin
1: oh it doesn't matter how so, much coriander you add if you have a yeah. bad base you're fucked
0: yeah like it's so that being said, right, like as you know, some people don't do it, and I'd almost rather you focus, have a good base spirit, and focus on the botanicals than really want to do everything yourself and totally botch the base spirit. Yeah. Sorry and to
1: interrupt. I just no, very I think that's a really, really good point, and I think the yeah. the vast majority of the large—I won't give any names—but most of the big houses that you're going to get NGS from, it's going to be consistent. You know what you're going to get, and so you have a pretty clean palette to work with. So, and that's Polish potato, Polish potato. There you go. So no, I do know people that are doing potato based gin and it's crazy. The amount of effort and work they go into it. Maybe they could talk about the East side of it, but I think again, a consumer's not going to care. Even bartenders for the most part, unless they're really, really into it. They're more, I mean, you have to understand you're not just competing with the aging side of things, which has most consumers attention. You're also talking about the cocktail culture. So spirits, unlike beer, beer is You crack the can, you open the bottle, you drink the product. When you're dealing with a lot of spirits, you're also mixing it. You're making a cocktail. So if you're making an old fashioned, no one's really going to sit there and talk about what kind of yeast was used in your old fashioned. Well, yeah,
2: especially like yeast is such a you know sort of subliminal character, right? Like it's a a what? What was that? Subliminal. Subliminal. (laughs) Subliminal
0: subliminal
2: Yeah, I don't know English very well, so very good. <laughs> Why my grammar bad? Yeah. <laughs> Word heart. Uh, but yeah, that, I mean, that, what I'm saying is, like, it's such a lower factor in your, you know, overall flavor profile, and especially when you throw it in a cocktail. You know, the big flavors that come out in a spirit are, right, are the barrel or the botanicals or things like that, and to have. To really play up your yeast and then throw in nine other ingredients to make your cocktail. Right. You're, you're just going to hide it, and the consumer's never going to be able to taste that sort of yeah. very low profile.
1: I hate to be too overly, you know focus too much on just the pure economics of it, but I think you have to be somewhat practical. I mean, if you've already built up a really strong established distillery that's known for quality, then I think that gives you a little more nuance to play with it. Like if you're a Leopold brothers, you can sit there and you can really eke out that last couple percentage of pure quality because Who are they? <laughs> right? they're they amazing. No, but they, they, they talk about yeast. They work with, you know, they, they're incredibly scientifically focused. They will, they will, They will pinch out every percentage of quality they can because they can, because they've already built a reputation. They've already been. Everyone knows their quality. They're making good product. They can sell the product at the prices they want. They're in a great position. A new startup distillery. I think it's I I don't want to say ignore the quality. But if you're talking about maybe a small percentage of the quality is going to come from really fine tuning that yeast selection and how you're doing it compared to, say, your barrel selection or your blending or anything else in between, you know, quality ingredients, you might have to just focus on what you can because it comes down, and that's what at the start of this I talked about the efficiencies. I think that's for a lot of startups more important. You need to make sure you are converting every Ounce of sugar in that, you know, in that, uh, in that mash, in that wort to, you know, you've got to ferment it, you've got to turn it into alcohol. Otherwise, you're fucked because you are wasting money. You're leaving it in that tank, it's going away, and that's money you can't afford because you're probably already undercapitalized. So that's where <laughs> I think the focus should be there for a small producer. And then, yes, that is a room for improvement down the line, is the, the, uh, Really like what Colton's saying. They've been doing this for ten years and now they have a temperature gauge. That's amazing. Now they can really fine tune those control points
2: that they uh, couldn't. Hold before. on, listener. We we've had a temperature gauge the whole time. Oh, sorry. <laughs> We have temperature control now. The Listener doesn't drink horse
0: hair. Anyways, yeah.
2: He knows. I just want him to that. know that we've owned Where's a thermometer. She? When, when,
1: is, is she? when is my, <laughs> my cream quinoa coming out? That's what I want. Yeah. <laughs> quinoa cream? Is that. I got your better? cream
0: quinoa right
1: here. Yeah.
0: I don't even know what that means. That's like an old guy thing to say.
2: It is. Really
1: gross.
0: I'm really old leaning guy into thing. this old guy thing. Yeah.
2: Get off my line. Dude, cream. you're 35. Can we <laughs> Chill
0: out. <laughs> can we go yeah, but I'm like 97 <laughs> in the pants. Um, <laughs> um, can we go to final thoughts?
1: Yeah. Yeah, let's do final thoughts. Zeno, you do you start us off with yes. final thoughts. Yes.
0: Yes. so I have one that I'm pretty happy about. Do it. Um so I think when it comes to yeast, you've seen we've seen from, we talked about from startup to double macro to all the things in between and all the choices that you can make and all the factors that you should pay attention to. And all of that said, all I, my bet, my biggest advice I could say is never be complacent about it and always try and be better. Either try and squeeze out more efficiency by finally temperature controlling or playing with a different yeast or doing a starter or hydrating or using a cream yeast or whatever it is. Always try to be better. Even if you're doing it perfectly, see if you can get, you know, one more thousandth of a percent of alcohol out of your mash or, yeah. you know, this ester or that ester. Like, always try to be better. Like, hey, I have more time to age things now. I can make it more estery. So I'm going to do this way. So always be thinking that you're going to try to improve in whatever direction that might be.
1: It's good. My final thought, don't wait 10 years to buy a thermometer like Corsair. <laughs> I mean, come on. They're not that expensive. Just go get one. I'm, I'm propagating that new lie. I hope you appreciate that.
0: <laughs> oh, I like what you did there.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was good, right? I'm definitely not. Yeah, you just propagated <laughs> <laughs> Science yeah. jokes. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: No, I, I'll reiterate what I said is that fermentation is so fucking important to this entire process. But you have to put it in its place in terms of what you're doing as a whole. You have to really focus, I think, on the efficiency side first if you're a small producer because you have to make sure you can afford to actually produce the product, age it, get it to market. And then once you've done that, then really fine-tune. And there's nothing saying you can't do that along the way, but fine-tune your quality. Don't. I loved what you said, Zeno. Don't get complacent can't do that because there's so many mistakes you can get along the way. Bring in outside consultants and outside people to come double check what you're doing. Because if you have a, you know, if you have a bacterial infection, you don't know it, that could go on for a long time and you won't know for a while and it's too late. So protect yourself, be smart, focus on efficiency, uh, buy a thermometer.
2: <laughs> I will reiterate, reiterate Damn, you
0: are terrible with words tonight.
1: <laughs> yes. God, I I am so dumb and you make me seem so smart. I love you so much, Colton. Cuz I am an idiot, an abject fool, and I love it when you talk. Thank you.
2: That's all right. You guys are going to sound stupid cuz I'm going to re-record all of these words later. Yeah. You guys are just going to be talking to idiots. Chokes on you dummies.
0: Colton the, the, edits this episode. Right, the audio
1: cuts out and it's basically just like the Google robot voice comes in and says it like perfectly. <laughs>
0: Oh, I do that. Do you guys ever do that? You look up a word just to see how it's pronounced. Because I'm like, hold on, I, do, I really don't want to sound like an idiot.
2: All the time. Oh man, I should be doing that. I didn't even know I could.
0: <laughs> you need to do that in like your daily life. Yeah. You're Ta- like, I got to order a cup of coffee.
1: Tahee. Tahee. coffee, <laughs> coffee.
0: Oh, this is going downhill real so fast. Dumb. <laughs> What are you drinking? Wait, we didn't talk about what we're drinking. I do want to hear Colton's final thoughts. Final thoughts. What is go. everyone drinking? Yeah. No, I want to hear what everyone's drinking. God,
2: uh, first, I huh? am drinking uh Oishi whiskey from Japan. Ooh. Sexy. Wishi. God, you're... F-
1: this one. <laughs> is, is that another way to say old granddad? Is that really what you mean? <laughs> That's how I've been
2: <laughs> fucking up the words
1: tonight. <laughs> I am drinking a vial of beer barrel bourbon that I get in the mail. People randomly just send me things and I put them in my mouth. Oh, is that
0: New Holland? Yeah. New Holland? Yeah, it's New Holland. Yeah, I'm drinking um, old granddad.
1: (laughs) Goddamn right, you are. Taking it to Flavortown.
0: (laughs) All right, Colton, final thoughts. And I need to be done with this as soon as
2: possible. Um, Yeah, I guess I would just say that, you know, really focus on fermentation quality. You don't have to make it one of your marketing things or, or anything like that. But, you know, the, the distillation side is sort of the sexy side of our business. But if you can't ferment something well, you're not going to be able to distill anything good. Even if you're a master distiller, if you don't know how to make a mash and ferment it right, it's going to end up terribly. So focusing a lot on, you know, fermentation quality, buying thermometers, really going to help your overall quality in the end. It's not sexy. Although you do get your to stick your finger in it sometimes, so... Really? You had to take it there? God damn it. That wasn't even a dick joke. (laughs) God
1: damn it. Uh, Yes. (laughs) God damn it, I'm done. (laughs) Double macro. Cheers.